Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. So I've been thinking a little bit about um, kind of experience uh, that that I got to be a part of a couple weeks ago, um, and been reminded of I don't know, kind of in this process, processing, thinking about how how much commentary there is attached with God's word, and how little time we spend actually just letting God's word speak and we feel the need that we have to have all of this explanation and, and such, which isn't bad and is important, but, but a couple weeks ago, part of devotions in a group that the devotions that we had were limited to just simply reading God's word and letting that speak for itself without any impressive thoughts about it or, or commentary or that kind of stuff. And what, 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 what I experienced in that moment was, was what I experienced when I, when I see like a movie that I'm super into. And like after the, after the movie, like I go out and, and if there's people who saw the movie or whatever, then, then, I, then we talk about like the things that, we, that really stuck out to us or, or the lines that stuck out or did you remember when that happened? It's not necessarily picking apart the movie, but it's, it's actually remembering the, the things that were said in the movie or the things that happened in the movie and reliving those things and recognizing those. And I found myself after that scripture was read in those devotions and then it was it, I had this desire in, in me to like go back and say, remember when you read that? Remember when God says he did that and, and, and live in those spots? And, and, I think, and I think a lot of times we get stuck that we need a whole bunch of explanation when oftentimes the pathway of obedience is so clear and so right there in front of us. And we just feel like we, we need, nope, I want more explanation, I want more commentary. You know, I was thinking about my responsibility on Sunday mornings is, to, is proclamation and explanation, but not to the extent that it overshadows Scripture. Not to the extent that it overshadows what God is saying in His Word. And, and really, the responsibility of all of us who are hearing the Word is study and meditation. Like everything in, in our passage today is not going to be unpacked or explained but that's not it for you because you and I need to go and then we need to keep reading and catching and seeing what God is doing and what the story that God's telling in the book of Acts. And all of us were called to obedience, to obey whatever it is that we've read. And so uh, we're in Acts chapter 13, starting in, in verse 13 this morning. And I just wanna go back to last week for a second because this is kind of known as, as Paul's first missionary journey. And, and, and last week, as we were talking about, we, we, if we remember, Saul and Barnabas go to the island of, of Cyprus 
And, and what happens there is they go launch from Antioch, they go to Cyprus, and it says that the, the, what happens is that the proconsul of Cyprus, who's that Roman designated leader, boss, ruler of the island, he expresses faith in Jesus because of the Lord's teaching. Even in the midst of, of obstacles of, of, of Bar-Jesus over there, who's, who's saying, don't listen to what they're saying. And so what, what, what stuck out to me is that Cyprus in the first century, the first century was reached by Paul and Barnabas. And then I mentioned last week that today, half the island is pagan and half the island is Muslim. Like, what happened? And then, and then this week in, in, in verse 13, we see uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're moving on from Cyprus and they go across the Mediterranean and they go into what is now common, now modern day Turkey, and they go from city to city proclaiming the gospel. And there is overwhelming response to the gospel. But again, thinking about Cyprus then in the first century and now, and thinking about Turkey and those areas over there, Turkey is 99 point something percent Muslim and unreached. Yet Paul and Barnabas, the apostles, they went in and reached those areas and something happened. And I think it is just this cautionary tale, this warning that God's people, the church, cannot become lazy or complacent in making disciples from generation to generation. We have to be careful. We have to keep going. The, the job is not done. It's so easy to think like, well, I've achieved this place and, and I'm familiar now and, and we've done the work and, and we can rest and relax. Not until Jesus comes back. But you know, there's, there's people who are like in Cyprus and in Turkey today who are, who are walking the same path that Paul and Barnabas walked and bringing, proclaiming the gospel there. Like the same place that they were, there's people over there right now. And we, we, pray, we pray for people who are doing those kinds of things in those places. And, and we all know from experience that when, when, when like I need prayer and I know my friends or family are praying for me, that I, that I experience, I know I can tell that when I'm weak and struggling that, that people are praying for me in the same way, like those people over there as, as we pray for them, they experience that, but, but what if through like the Holy Spirit, even, even right now, what if, what if they could hear our prayers who are following that, that path and, and in those places where Paul and Barnabas was? What if they could hear us to be encouraged and be lifted up and supported like that? So, so what I wanna do just, just right now is as something that we know works and happens and is effective and is powerful I want us in just the next minute to take, a, take this time and pray for workers who are in Cyprus and in Turkey and spreading the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, finding doors and going through those doors to bring that same gospel that Paul and Barnabas did in the first century, doing it again over in those areas. And so what I want is like, I want us to do this verbally out loud 
praying whatever the Spirit lays on your heart to, to be praying for those workers who are there, some of them isolated, some of them with small teams, but those who are there and doing the work over where, we're, where our text takes us. And so right now, I want us to pray out loud as if they are listening so that they can hear us over across the ocean. Okay, so let's do that right now. Let's just take the next minute and pray out loud for workers who are over in those areas. Let's do that right now. Father, I thank you for what you're doing, and I, I thank you for what you're doing here in our own city. God, how you're working through people who take seriously your word and your work. God, I thank you for what you're doing through people who are in places like where Paul and Barnabas traveled whether it's in Cyprus or Turkey or, or places around there. God, as they carried the gospel to those places in the first century and found believers, people who had heard the story of Jesus and responded, God, I pray that you will empower those same people today who are on those same paths, walking that same land. I pray, God, that you would empower them. God, that they would, they would know your presence. God, that they would they would they would experience the connectedness with your family globally, God, that, that they, would, they would know that those who, who are living lives uh, here are, are praying, even right now, God. Uh, I pray that you would infuse them with the power of the Holy Spirit and that they would be filled with the Spirit every single day as they minister and as they walk according to the Spirit. God, I pray that you would help us all to live in that manner that is worthy of our calling. God, whether it's, whether it's a, a, an opportunity right here, working with, with people, whether at it, it work or at school or, or, or in the, the areas that we have, are passionate about, or it's somewhere far away. God, I pray that we would make disciples that make disciples. It can be presented to, to you, Jesus, as your inheritance because you are the king of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna read the passage this morning. It's, 
Acts 13, 13 through 52. It's a little lengthy, but here's what I want you to do. As I'm reading, I want you to think about and be catching what's going on in the story, the incredible things that are happening and, and what the story that's being told. And I want you to like notice things that are happening. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But, when they, but, but they went from, on from Perga and came to Antioch in Poseidon. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down after reading from the Law and the Prophets. The rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all of my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up from, with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers that he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, and also... It is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him, Jesus, from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from 
everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And they went out, and the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you thrust it aside and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout men or women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I wanna just point out a few things. A few things to recognize in this narrative in this record of what Paul does, Paul and Barnabas do in Turkey. First, there's something that we kind of gloss over and we're gonna come back to in a few weeks because it actually turns into a pretty big deal. It says that John left Paul and Barnabas and went back to Jerusalem. Talking about John Mark who was traveling with them and I've heard lots of thoughts on that Mostly, I think I grew up hearing that John Mark was kind of younger and he was homesick. And so he left Paul and Barnabas and he went back to Jerusalem to his family. But it's interesting because in a few weeks, we'll be at the passage where Paul and Barnabas actually split. They part ways because Barnabas wants to take John Mark again with them. And Paul says, no way, he is not coming on a trip with me. And, and something to think about when we, as we get to that, just something I'd love for you to think about, because it's pretty severe that Paul was willing to part ways with Barnabas over John Mark. And considering all that Paul writes in his letters about unity in the church, it's hard for me to believe that somebody's homesickness is enough to part ways. <laughs> And so just maybe spend a little bit of time in the word and thinking about with Paul's emphasis on unity in his letters, what does this look like for two men who are charged with bringing the gospel to the Gentile 
world, what would be enough for them to split ways because of something somebody did? Just kind of think about that because I think it's pretty relevant and applicable to us today and how we even think and how we make decisions. But, but we'll come back to that in a few weeks. The second thing that I want you to notice in this is, is starting in verse 16 where Paul starts to preach his message. He preaches a God-centric history. And he builds on this. And so if you look at what he says, he, he centers everything that happens in Israel's history as he's speaking to the people in the synagogue. Because it, it's interesting to me that, that, that these synagogue leaders ask Paul and Barnabas if they have anything to say, a word of encouragement. Paul being a, a Pharisee and a rabbi, uh, he, he would have had the privilege of being able to share in a, in a synagogue that he was maybe not his hometown or traveling. And so they're asked to give an encouragement. And so Paul takes that opportunity to preach the gospel and he gives a history because history often focuses on people who've done certain deeds, either great or terrible. And when we think about history, we look at people and their actions. But, but Paul, what he does here is history, as Paul describes it, is focused on God. It is God who is at work himself or through others. Just catch what the apostle points out as he, as he preaches his message. He, he actually, there's, at least I found like 11 different places where he attributes all things to God's movement in his work in history. God chose our forefathers and made the people great. He led them out of Egypt. God bore with them in the wilderness. God destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan and gave them their land as an inheritance. God gave them judges. Then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul. And when he, God, had removed Saul, he raised up David. And finally, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he has promised. And I think the reason that's significant to point out about Paul's sermon is that it is so easy for us today to forget that God is the center focus of history backwards and forwards. That I'm sure that people in Israel, when Saul wasn't working out the way they expected him to, and they were kind of being abused by his authority and his power, and he drifted from following Yahweh, that they were thinking, you know, maybe God missed something, or, or it's easy for us to think in our world and in, in our culture and where we live today to not think about that God is the one who's raising up and tearing down. It's easy to think that we're victims of, of, of something that happens in the world around us or a victim of a pandemic or whatnot, but God raised the pandemic and he ended the pandemic for his purposes. That's probably how Paul would preach it if he was preaching the, the, the recent history of, of, of our church. <laughs> and and so, so I think we've got to remember and recognize that, that we have to see history through the lens of God's work and what he's doing and recognize that we are just joining him in that. He invites us into that. As Paul preaches his message, there's two things that stick out. And I would encourage you to read, read his sermon this week, repeatedly. 
Why? Because in it, what you see, you see Paul making this trail of showing the Jews in the synagogue that Jesus fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies, that he is the culmination of everything that they've learned in their upbringing, that Jesus is the one, that he's fulfilled all of these things. He's the fulfillment of that. And secondly, in, in here, I want, I want to just zoom in on verse 30, 38 and 39. Here, here's what kind of the, the culmination of what Paul is saying. He says, let it be known to you, therefore, know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. So what Paul says right there is this thing that apparently is so weighty and drops so hard and is so significant that literally the next week on Sabbath, the entire city shows up to hear more of these words. And by the reaction, it's not just Jewish people who are showing up at the synagogue, it's the city, it's, it's the Gentiles who are showing up to hear this word that they've heard that is so significant, and it is that Jesus frees us from all consequences in the Jewish context of the Old Testament law, but in the broader context, it is for all people, all places, for all time that Jesus frees us from the consequences of sin and death, and he's conquered that. And that word went out and spread in the city to the, to, the, to, the, to the degree that it says that the entire city showed up the next Sabbath day to hear the word of God proclaimed. And here's where it gets sketchy. <laughs> here's where it gets kind of rough. Because you've got all of these people showed up at the synagogue on the Sabbath. You've got all these people showing up from the city, like citywide. It's kind of, it's, it, it, I mean, it's like, they, they didn't do some kind of like Billy Graham crusade during the week to get people to show up. They were just talking about the word that was preached and the message and the hope of Jesus Christ. And the whole city showed up. And it says that, that when the Jews saw this, they were jealous and they decided that this can't be happening. They saw a work that God was doing and they responded in jealousy in almost this, this preservation of their own kingdoms and they wanted it stopped. And, and, and so, so they, they stir up these, these women who, who have influence and power in the city. They stir up these men who, who have influence and power in the city and, and, they, and they drive Paul and Barnabas out of the district, even though a whole bunch of people have, have come to faith in Jesus. And I think the question is this, those, those Jews in the city had a choice to make. Are they going to rejoice in the resurrection that Jesus brings to all people or are they gonna double down on their flesh and protect what they've created, what they've become accustomed to?
When God does a work, do we rejoice in the work that he's doing of resurrection and life, or do we double down and say, okay, but, but, but this needs to be contained? Again, like, like last week, are, are, you know, do we say, are we, are we like canal ditch diggers, and then we say, come Holy Spirit like a river, but just stay in the canal? I mean, that's what they were doing. They were saying, stick here, because this work of God can't go this far. And so they were jealous. And so they somehow, and, and the thing is that they had, their hearts were not aligned with God's heart. And that's so easy for us in our hearts not to be aligned with God's heart. The thing that, that I, that I want to, the last thing I want to mention from, from the text is this, the, the last thing in verse 52 in the midst of all this, so Paul and Barnabas have just been run out of the district. They had this incredible thing going on and then the Jews stir this up and, and get rid of them and, and they're basically, they go out of the district and they go further into in, inland. But it says, it says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit even though they were being mildly mistreated. It says that, that the men stirred up persecution. So they were being persecuted, yet they had joy and they were full of the Holy Spirit, which again is a reminder for us that, that our joy and our fullness of the Spirit is not connected or controlled by what is happening outside of us and around us, that we can have joy in the worst of moments in our lives because of what is true about Jesus and his faithfulness and his promises. And we can hang on to what he's done in the past and we can anticipate what he has promised to do in the future. And so it says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. But the thing that I, that I, that I wanna just point out this morning as far as like my life and maybe your life and something that you may wanna do some examinations with you and in individually and maybe even with your circles, with your communities, with the people that you're around. I haven't had these tests yet, but some of you have, maybe more familiar, unfortunately, with these things, but like an EKG, which compares your heart with the baseline of a normal heart to determine heart health and function. And so it's, here's how a normal heart functions and here's how your heart functions. And there's a comparison between the two. And I think part of this, in thinking about the Jewish reaction of, of being jealous and being angry at the work that God's doing, I think in a way they needed a spiritual EKG where, where their hearts could be compared with the baseline of God's heart. And what about us? What if we saw the baseline of God's heart and then we put, the, put your heart next to it, would they look like each other? Would the way my heart beats and the way I function and, and, and the health and the function of my heart, would it look like and resemble God's heart? And so the question is, okay, so what, what, is, what is the baseline of God's heart? I'll just give you three things really quick. Three simple things. And we've been talking about these things for a long time, so these aren't new, but we wanna reinforce them. First is intimacy with God. 
If your heart is beating the way God's heart is beating, you will be pursuing intimacy with Jesus. First Corinthians 1.9 says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship or to intimacy with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. My heart will not beat like God's heart beats unless I am pursuing intimacy with Jesus. It won't happen. Second thing is faithful transformation. Romans 8, 28 and 29 say this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those who he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That hard task of faithful transformation to become like Jesus, that is that baseline of our hearts. Our hearts must be wanting to do the hard work. And it is hard, it's difficult. Becoming like Jesus is really hard because you have to die to yourself. And Jesus has to raise you in his image. And then finally this, for all people to experience salvation. That's how God heart, God's heart beats. His heart beats for the lost and that they might see and receive salvation. First Timothy 2, 3 says this, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. So if I'm looking at it like a spiritual EKG of my heart, am I pursuing intimacy with Jesus? Am I faithfully allowing the spirit to transform me? And do I desire for all people to experience salvation, no matter where I am or what I'm doing? Like we sang earlier, we'll shout till the whole world knows it. Is that true about us or is that just a word that we sing? Am I really willing to shout till everyone around me knows who Jesus is. So I have two questions. One is this, how does your heart compare to God's baseline? Just looking at yourself, how does your heart compare to God's baseline? And the second question is this, after you've done that, what must I adjust in my life in order to have a heart that looks more like God's? I guarantee you, I promise you that every person in this room has something that they need to adjust, something you need to adjust this week in order for your heart to be more in the baseline of God's heart. But you've gotta ask the question, how does my heart compare to God's heart? So I would encourage you to, to be even reading through this over and over again this week and asking yourself the questions about the baseline of where your heart is. Uh, last week, I shared that um, we're gonna do something called the 7-11 Daniel Fast, um, which clarified again for those of you who are not sure, it's not a fast where you can eat anything you can purchase at 7-11, but, but it is the dates, July 7 through 11, it's just five days, but we wanna do a Daniel Fast and invite our whole church into that to, to do a Daniel Fast for five days and if you Go to that QR code, uh, it'll take you to our website, which gives you some resources and for information why we're doing this, how we're doing it. And so from July 7th through 11th, we want to invite everyone who's willing to join together in this Daniel Fast, and we'll have some prayer points, and we will, uh, we will be working through that. And um, the other thing that we wanna do during this time 
a while ago, probably a couple months ago, I, I talked about how we want to establish houses of prayer all over um, our church's reach. And so um, got to meet with a, a, a handful of families who uh, God placed it on their heart to open up their homes. And so we're working this process through. And so July 8th, Saturday, July 8th, which is in the midst of that Daniel fast, um, July 8th, from two to four in the afternoon, uh, those houses, those people are gonna be opening their houses for prayer. And you, I would, whether or not you're participating in the, in the fast with us, that's okay, but, but I would encourage everyone to kind of set aside Saturday, July 8th from two to four and go to someone's house, maybe somebody you haven't even met yet, but somebody who's part of this church family and go meet with others in our church family and invite others if you want and, and spend time praying together specifically for the work that God is doing, for what God's calling us to do and what God is doing globally what God is doing here in our backyard with the stories that I shared with you last week about the, the, the refugees from all over the Middle East who God, who God is stirring and they're asking for stories about Jesus to be told to them. We wanna gather together and pray. And so, so I would encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity and join together and maybe even make some new deep heart friends uh, as we pray together. Um, so I would encourage you to do that. I wanna pray for us right now. Um, I wanna invite the prayer team up. And uh, if you need prayer this morning, um, I would encourage you to come forward and, and pray and be prayed for. Father, we, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your incredible love and your patience for us and with us. God, I, I pray most of all this morning that my heart, that our hearts, would look like your heart. God, that we would keep, keep ourselves from growing accustomed or, or feeling like we just have too much affinity with it. And that, that God, that we would continue to pursue you in intimacy through prayer and fasting and meditation and giving. And, and, and God, I pray that we would continue to pursue Jesus in in intimacy, I pray that we would continue, even though it's hard to be transformed in the likeness of Jesus Christ, that God, we would hang on tightly to that and that we would, by our actions and by our words and by our behavior, that God, we would care and that it would be so obvious to anyone seeing us that we care that every person in our pathway has an opportunity to receive forgiveness and that that opportunity that they see before them, that they see the love that you have in us and the kindness through us to draw them to repentance. So God, I, I pray that you would help make us, you would make us into a people whose hearts beat with yours. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.